Amen. We serve a good God, amen. If you would join me standing to your feet to read the word of God, we're going to be in the book of Revelation, turn to chapter 21, and we will read verses 1 through 8. Revelation 21, verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Lord, thank you so much for your presence in this place. Thank you for your word that you inspired, and I ask that it would inspire us. It would direct our hearts toward a greater focus on you, toward a greater understanding of who you are. God, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church And I pray that we would not be passive listeners, but that we would be hearers and doers of your word. Lord, may your words build our faith greater in you. And we pray all of this believing in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, if you would just raise your hand, the ushers will be sure to get you an outline so you can follow along and you can take some notes. I think that that is an important thing for us to be able to do. And we are wrapping up the, our series in the book of Revelation. So today is the last message in the book of Revelation. We are closing with chapter 21 and chapter 22. And the message title is All Things New. All Things New. And so if you have your outline there, you can follow along with me in this introduction. And you'll see there, as we contemplate the condition of our world, and how wickedness seems to be gaining ground over righteousness, we are given a powerful description of what is, what is our blessed hope and what we are living towards and what we have to look forward to. The end of the book of Revelation shows us what is the blessed hope of the follower of Jesus. 
What, what is this thing that we look forward to one day that we will see the, the beauty and the majesty of God? The hope of the follower of Christ is found in these passages that we will read together. And again, we'll walk through the rest of this book here. And what I want to say is this, is that eternity will be glorious for the faithful follower of Jesus. And it's, and it's sad that I have to put in there faithful follower because it should be known that anyone that is a real follower of Jesus should be faithful. You can't follow Jesus without being faithful. That just doesn't happen. Now, I, again, and, and last, last Tuesday, I had the privilege to speak to the men at Forge, and I said to them as I was talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification, I'm not talking about perfect people. There is no such thing as a perfect person, but there is a such thing as faithfulness. Think about marriage, right? Are there any perfect Husbands or wives in here, hallelujah. If there's any, I need you to come and, and talk to us, hallelujah. I, I need some help, glory to God. But are there some faithful husbands and faithful wives in the house? Yes, there are, right? There, 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 are, there are people who are imperfect yet faithful. There are people, I was talking with Pastor Aldo, we were talking about parenting, and, and unfortunately for you guys, um, you do not have perfect parents as pastors in this church. Hallelujah. <laughs> I wish that we could say that we have got it all together and we never make mistakes as dads, but, you know, Pastor Aldo was sharing a conversation that he had with his daughter, that he has, I'm assuming, an ongoing conversation, and, you know, his, you know, Pastor Aldo likes to joke, right? And he's like, man, I'm, I'm amazed when I get it right, hallelujah. His point is that he knows that he's going to get it wrong. That doesn't mean you stop being a parent, right? That, that doesn't mean you, keep, you, you don't continue to try. The beauty of our relationship with Jesus is that he died and he made a way for us to access the Father. And we know this, that when we fail or when we sin, that we can do what? We can come to the Father. See, can I tell you something? Repentance is part of faithfulness. Come on now. Repentance is part of faithfulness. When you and I recognize our sinfulness, when we recognize where we have fallen short, what we are doing is we are operating in faithfulness because we are saying, God, you are true, you are righteous, and I am simply availing myself to what? To the thing that you have made accessible to me, which is a place of forgiveness. So when I fall short, in my effort to be faithful, I can ask for forgiveness. I can be washed clean. I can be purified. And so again, eternity is going to be glorious for the faithful follower of Jesus. The one who continues to run to the Father. The one who continues to turn his gaze or her gaze to the one who created them and the one who died and rose again for them. The one, the, 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 the faithful follower of Christ, the one who doesn't live in their sin, but recognizes that there is a Savior and one to deliver them from patterns of sin and a lifestyle of sin and strongholds of sin. Yes, it is going to be glorious. Hallelujah. Amen. 
God's statement recorded in Revelation 21, 5 through 6, we read this, is, is, is aptly, it aptly summarizes the final two chapters of this book and ending the book of Revelation. It is this, it is, behold, I make all things new, it is done. Behold, I make all things new, it is done. That's such a beautiful Reminder for us of what it is that Jesus promises us. It sounds like the cross, does it not? When he was there and he said, it is finished. And so we know that these are prophetic words. And so they are not finished in the sense that they have already been completed, but they are finished in the sense that they will be completed. Hallelujah. Because everything that God says will be completed Yesterday, I, was, I had the, the privilege to participate in a going-home celebration for a beloved aunt and sister and, and a woman of God who shared with us in worship a couple of times. And as Sister Grissel shared about her Aunt Connie, the one thing that she said that even in her state of dementia, the Word of God continued to resonate in her soul. Psalm 91 was her favorite psalm, and up until the end, she could quote it word for word. Come on, somebody, 85 years old, quoting a whole psalm. Come on now. Some of y'all be like, I can't memorize Scripture. Now, you just don't want to memorize Scripture. But anyway, that's another preaching for another day. 85 years old, and she is still quoting. She is, her mind is gone. Her, her physical capacity is deteriorating, and yet, guess what? Does not fade. God's word does not fade. That's why it's important for us to hide his word in our hearts, to make sure that we hide it, that we treasure it. But that's what it is. We have to treasure it. It's not enough just to memorize it. Can I, can I, can I, can I confess to you? I like confessing. Because I like you to know that I am not perfect by any means. You know, we, we, when we go through passages of Scripture, we typically have a memory verse that goes with the book, right? And I, I want to confess to you that I have memorized Scriptures for that so I could seem spiritual in front. Not, that's not the reason. <laughs> I want to be an example. I'm not trying to seem spiritual. I want to be an example. And so for the first few weeks, I'll read it with you, and then I'll quote it from memory. But, what, but, but I can tell you this right now. I have not always treasured it in my heart to where it is something that stays with me. But I can go back to 20-some-odd years ago when I first started studying God's Word Psalm 119.11, my favorite verse, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. These words that resonate within our soul, right, that, that give us some understanding of, of, man, God has done things. We have to treasure. Sister Connie, she treasured God's word, and that's what happened. That's what it means to hide. It means to treasure. It's to hide it deep in there. It's what really matters. They asked Toby Mac a question. For those of you that went to the Better Man event, you heard this. If not, you didn't. They asked him a question. They said, what is your greatest, your greatest possession on earth? And he thought about it for a second, and he said, man, I have to be honest. My greatest possession is my relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know him. I don't know if he was just being spiritual, you know, put on the spot or whatever, because when I think about my life, I'm like, well, I have some favorite things, I think. But I'm going to take him at his word. And he was like, man, I have a bunch of stuff, but there's one thing that matters above everything else, and it's my relationship with Jesus Christ. 
What began in Genesis is brought to completion in Revelation. What began in Genesis is brought to completion in Revelation. I want you to see this little graph here. Genesis, look what happens in Genesis. Genesis, heavens and earth are created, Genesis 1.1. In Revelation, new heavens and new earth, 21, verse 1. The sun is created in chapter 1, verse 6. In Genesis, there is no need of sun in Revelation 21, 23. The night is established in Genesis 1, 5. There is no night there in Revelation 22 and verse 5. The seas are created in Genesis 1, 10. There are no more seas in, Gen in, in Revelation 21, 1. The curse is announced in Genesis 3, chap of chapter 3, verse 14 and 17. There is no more curse in Revelation 22, 3. Death enters history in Genesis 3, 19. And in Revelation 21, 4, there is no more death. Man Man is driven from the tree in Genesis 3, 24. Man is restored to paradise in Revelation 21, 22, 14. Sorrow and pain begin in Genesis 3, 17. And in Revelation 21, 4, there is no more tears or pain. Hallelujah. That's why Revelation matters because Revelation shows us, hey, stuff started over here one way, but it's going to end more gloriously. Things got messed up, things got disordered and, and chaotic, but everything is going to be brought back into order. And so I want you to think about this this morning. Living in light of eternity is only possible if we discipline ourselves to focus on the king. Living in light of eternity is only possible if we discipline ourselves to focus on the king. And I haven't said it every single week, but the, the underlying theme of this series is focus on the king until the end. And what I have tried to do throughout this time together is as we have looked at the ugliness that is going on, whether it's the seals of judgment, whether it is the trumpets of judgment, whether it is the bowls of God's wrath being poured out, whether it's the persecution of the church, is I've always tried to pause and look at the pictures that we see of heaven and what is going on in the heavens because it is important for us to realize just as as John got this vision and he walked the seven churches through it as he shared it with them that throughout everything that he was prophesying, everything that was going wrong, everything that was going to happen, there are moments that God inspires a look up. Not a hook up, come on now. A look up. Look up. Look at what's going on in heaven. Look at what is happening in the throne room. Look at the worship that is taking place. Why? Because no matter what is going on down here in this temporal realm, no matter what is happening in the earth, you always know that the throne is not shaken. <laughs> you always know that the king is on his throne. Heaven is not worried or concerned or like, oh my goodness, something happened that we didn't plan for. There was no contingency for that. No, the sovereign one is seated on his throne. The king is reigning always. And so as we go through Revelation, I, I talked to my sister Victoria uh, the, uh, on, uh, I don't know, it was Friday. I believe I was driving and we were talking about Revelation. And, and she said, just like I said in the beginning, most people are like, oh, I'm not touching that book. <laughs> 
So we say, right, because we're afraid of revelation. Man, when you study revelation, I hope you're not afraid of revelation anymore. I hope you're encouraged by the book of Revelation. I hope you, you, you are like, man, I love this book because this book teaches me about my king. Amen? Amen? But we have to discipline ourselves, church. It's a discipline. It's a discipline, a daily discipline to make yourself look up. It's a daily discipline that when you wake up in the morning, that the first thing you do is worship the king of glory, that you enthrone him, that you put him in his right place. Not in the, in the demeaning way, like I'm putting God in his place. No, 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 that you put him in his place. That you magnify the Lord and that you ensure that, man, no matter what I'm going through, I'm making sure I'm giving God praise. <laughs> Yesterday, I, w- I was dealing with some, some drama. I'm just going to call it a drama with two people. It was text counseling. Hallelujah. Yeah, y'all have never done that, I guess, text counseling. Oh, now you get it, right? <laughs> People were texting you for counsel instead of calling you, right? It's like, you know, I I just find that I have carpal tunnel. I think it's from so much text counseling. Hallelujah. (laughs) Either that or I'm just getting old and, you know, swinging hammers and stuff doesn't work for me. But nonetheless, that's a whole nother story. But, 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 but as I was sitting down, I got this text message early in the morning before I was even up. This text came through and, but, uh, you know, someone was there. And, and, and what I did was I looked down at my, at my phone for a moment, right as I began to engage in worship, the first song was on. And for those of you who have an iPhone, that's the right phone to have anyway. But, you know. Um, I'm telling you, the Android is, anyway, it's demonic. It's demonic. It does it. it no. Let me stay in the spirit here. But for, I, I, don't, I don't know if this happens on the Android. I, I only know because I, I only know what happens on the iPhone. But it is. The Android is perfect. It doesn't give you notifications or anything. It's just, you know, it's a holy phone. It senses you, right? Anyway. But when you close the screen on the iPhone, your notifications will come up unless you hit, you know, I don't want notifications. And I had, a, I had the picture of the song of worship. And then I had two notifications from these folks that were going at it. <laughs> and I just thought that was funny. I'm like, I'm ready to worship and they want to argue. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> at the same time, minutes apart. And so there's not, and I'm like, glory to God. It's a daily discipline. I said, they don't have to wait till I'm done with Jesus because I ain't got nothing for him anyway. But it's a discipline because you know how easy it is to just check your notifications, to become distracted in your worship, to get caught up in life and get caught up in drama, to get caught up in situations. It's a discipline for us to be able to look to the Lord. But we do that, and when we do that, we're living in light of eternity, the eternity we're talking about here. So the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we should seek to be citizens of the new city. We should seek to be citizens of the new city. And so we read verses 1 through 8. I'll just go ahead and summarize them. But the citizens of the new city are characterized in three ways. Number one, they are characterized as God's people. Verses 1 through 5 show them as God's people. Verse 6 shows them as a satisfied people. 
people. And verses 7 through 8 shows them as an overcoming people. We should be seeking to be citizens of the new city. Here's something that we have to realize, though. Before we will be citizens there, we must embrace our citizenship now. Come on now. Before we are going to be citizens there, we have to embrace our citizenship now. We have become believers and followers of Jesus, and we have been given a new citizenship, right? You know, we, we talk about all the immigration issues and things that are happening in this moment and, and, and this thing about citizenship. How do you become a citizen of the United States? Well, I don't want to unpack that. That's a whole other thing for you to pray about and debate about, whatever. But here's what I want to tell you. Citizenship in heaven happens because of faith in Jesus. Citizenship in heaven of this new city is found in Jesus Christ. It is found by the blood of the lamb. It is found by us putting our faith and our trust in him. And we, but, but, but church, we have to, we have to embrace our citizenship now. You know why we become overwhelmed by what's going on in this world? Because we forget where our citizenship is. You know why churches are dividing like crazy? It isn't because someone is more spiritual than the other. No, it is because many of us have forgotten where our citizenship is. We've forgotten what kingdom we are really part of. And we have allowed this world system, Babylon, come on now. We've allowed this world system to divide us instead of us saying, wait a second, I am a king. I, I am part of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, yeah, I care about what's going on in this world. I want this world to be the best. I'm a firm believer. God's word is the best way for anyone to live. God's laws are the best way for anyone to live. I want to be a, a good citizen while I'm here on earth. But listen, I cannot put all my eggs in that basket. I need to know that, you know, I, I want to do what's right for this earth, but I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and I'm living my life toward that city. I'm living my life toward the new Jerusalem. I'm living my life toward this new city that I see promised in the book of Revelation. One of the major, major characteristics of the new city is that it is God's dwelling place. That's awesome. As we were in worship here in our time of worship, and Minister Hector, he, he, he began to, to sense something beautiful. I hope that you experienced it as well. Just a, a weight of God's presence, that, that, a still but weight of God's presence that was there in the room. And he began to, to, to worship. Man, that's what we want, is it not? We want the presence of God. We live, I don't know about you, I mean, but we live we live to experience and know God. That's what we want to do, right? And when we have those moments, that, 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 those, just those little touches of heaven, it's like, oh, my goodness, I don't want to leave this place. See, this is the beauty, though. This is what sets every other religion apart. I can assure you in other places, whether you're in a mosque, I don't think you're feeling anything. If you have arthritis in your knees, you're probably feeling something there because you're bowed down on some... Rug, right? Like, I believe in bowing down in worship, but, but nonetheless, you're not feeling, you're not sensing. God, listen, God created us with sense, senses, right? <laughs> it's not all about emotion. It's not all about feeling, because some of you may have not felt anything you know, externally, but maybe you felt something in your heart. You, you sensed God's presence. I mean, this is, but this is what sets Christianity apart. Listen, if you think, if you read the Bible, guess what? God has wanted to dwell among his people in different ways. He's done it, right? Has he not? 
The tabernacle in the Old Testament, right? Like that's what happened. He dwelt in the tabernacle in the, in, 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 in the place where, where the people worship. He dwelled there in, that, in the holy of holies. And, and as we move forward in the scriptures, we see that God does what? That God says that now we are the temple. We, we, us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2 tells us that God is building a dwelling place. He is building a place for his dwelling. God gives us a little bit, uh, a little taste of heaven. You know what it should do? It should create an appetite for more, should it not? You ever walking in the mall and, you know, it's around lunchtime or something like that? And I think, I, I can't remember the name. Was it Sark's? I don't, even, I don't even know the name of the place, but is it Sark? What is it? Sarku, Hallelujah. Y'all are like, man, it's almost lunchtime. It is. Glory to God. It's 11, 11.05. <laughs> and they have these little samples. <laughs> and when you walk by and you're on a diet, you're like, no, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm, I'm good, I'm, I'm very, very holy. <laughs> or, or, or you're like, oh, yes, please, I need that. It's just a little bit. I mean, it's, it's not going to do anything to my calories, right? <laughs> why, why, why are they handing out those little samples? So whet your appetite so you will want more. Hello. So that way you'll be like, yep, that's where I'm having lunch. Even though I just ate lunch, I'm having lunch again right now. Hmm. I'm still hungry. You know, the, the <laughs> suddenly, suddenly it, it woke up. And out. that, listen, God, God is not trying to trick you. But what God is doing, he's trying to draw you. He wants you to know his presence. He wants you to know his power. He wants you to know his love. He wants you to know his freedom. He wants you to know who he is. And so what does he do? He lets us taste and see that the Lord is good. You know what? That's Old Testament. Oh, come on now. That's even before the Holy Spirit indwelt everyone who put their faith in God. New Testament Hebrews tells us that we've tasted and, we, and we've seen that the Lord is good. That's, so, so, so there is an experiential thing that should be happening. What, and what should occur is it should awaken our appetite. In the new city, what does God do? He wipes away all of the ill effects of sin, death, sorrow, pain, everything. He wipes it all away. And ultimately, what does he do? He satisfies us with eternal water. This water that cleanses, this water that purifies, this water that makes us holy. Now, for you and us, we're so spoiled, and we are. Because we'll walk out of here. If you want some water, you can go to the water fountain right there, hit a button, and all of a sudden water comes up. Some of you are like, I don't like the way that water tastes. Okay, whatever. That's how spoiled we are. You go to the bathroom, and you know you, 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 you move something, and all of a sudden water's flowing, and you just have water on demand. <laughs> I went, I went on a mission trip to Mexico, and the water supply is different over there. They have water, but it is in a well. Hello. And I happened to be out there at the time that the, the, uh, it was time for bathing and time for dinner. And the, the woman that I saw, she came out. She had these two buckets. And she was a small woman. She was smaller than me. She's probably like, you know, Vanessa, you know, not big. She went out there, deep well. She dropped that, the bucket to get the water out. She was like, pop, 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 pop. It's like, man, that was easy. I said, Psh, I got to try this. <laughs> One of the other pastors that was with us, he's from, you know, he, he's from the country in Puerto Rico. So he has dealt with wells before. I have not. I'm from the city of South Florida. Hallelujah. <laughs> Where we have running water on demand, right? <laughs> 
And he's like, hey, let's race. Let's see who can get the water out faster. And I was like, Psh, let's go, bro. I'm, I'm like 20-something. I'm like You're like 40-something. Right now I'm 40-something anyway. So we go. Drop the bucket down there. We drop the bucket down there. I start pulling the water up. You know, I'm halfway up. I'm winded. I didn't have no water in that bucket. I'm like, man, I did all that work, got that tired, there was no water. And this woman came like three times. Why did I, why did I tell you that story? Well, to make you laugh at me again, I just, you know. But I want to point out to you that when these people were hearing about water, they're like, water? Water wasn't like it is for us. It wasn't just easy to, to access in those times. There was, it didn't, water didn't move like we see water. So when Jesus is promising them water, he's saying, hey, you guys are going to have something you've never had before. You're going to have not just water on demand, you're going to have eternal water that's going to wash you clean. As a reminder, what does Jesus say? The, the last verse that we read there. Or verse 7, look at verse 7. Uh, I, I want to touch this because this brings us back to his original writings. If you remember uh, when we started this, we went through the seven churches. And I pointed out that the, the, the book of Revelation has to be read in context. And part of context is audience. And so when you read Revelation, you always have to read with these seven churches in mind. That's why I bring up the whole water thing, right? Because they weren't just accessing water just easily the way that we do. Uh, so when, when you go back to those seven churches, there was something that Jesus said as he rebuked the five of those churches. When he rebuked them, what was, or actually to all seven of them, he promises them something. And what is his promise always connected to? He who overcomes. He's calling a church to overcome here. He's calling the church to overcome. Verse 7 says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We looked at that already. But what does he do? He points out that we are overcomers and only, hear me now, only overcomers will be citizens of the new city. Let me say it again. Only overcomers will be citizens of the new city. So if you look at this list, this is, a, this is a condensed list, but I think that it is a list that encapsulates a lot. He says the cowardly, they're not overcomers. The unbelieving, they are not overcomers. The abominable, they are not overcomers. Those are those who are acting in abominable ways toward the Lord. Murderers are not overcomers. Sexually immoral are not overcomers. Sorcerers, or those who practice dark arts, are not overcomers. Idolaters, those who worship idols, whether they are physical things or just things in our heart, they are not overcomers. And all liars are not overcomers. So if you fall into that category, the question is, how do I overcome these things? How do I overcome these things? Is it by my works that I overcome them? Is it by my ability that I overcome them? Is it in my own strength that I overcome them? Is it by willpower that I overcome them? No. Revelation 12, 11, it says this. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb 
by the word of their testimony and because they love not their lives unto death. They overcome by the blood of the lamb, the first thing that has to be part of our overcoming, it's our faith in Jesus Christ. It's his blood that cleanses us. However, it is the word of their testimony. It is those who are unwilling to bow the knee to the pressures of sin and in that context to the pressures of the world system. And it is those who do not love their lives unto death, those who are willing to die for their faith. See, the blood of Jesus doesn't just cleanse us. I believe it changes us. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, gives us a new heart, and gives us the ability to overcome everything from being a coward to being a liar. Hello. Overcomers are those who don't live in sin, who are not practicing sin, who do not justify their sin, but they overcome it by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And by loving not their lives unto death. The Apostle John, who is the writer of this book, he also reminds us in his first epistle of John, which is, which is short, in chapter 5, he says this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So what does that mean? you got to be born again to overcome the world. Whatever is born again, you have to give new life. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And so our faith in Christ is what leads us to live holy and righteous. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. You know what makes you live differently when you believe that Jesus is the son of God? It is when your heart has been convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. The second thing, I'll ask you to remind after me, and my longest point was the first one, by the way. Hallelujah. Say this with me. Say, we should marvel at the character of the new city. We should marvel at the character of the new city. Look at verse 9 with me here. I mean, um, verse 9, and then we're going to read. As we read through, I just want to touch on a couple of things here. Verse 9, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And they and they and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. Now just pause for a moment. You see that? that that's pretty amazing, is it not? Pretty glorious city already. Angels at the, at the four corners of this city, at all of the gates. I mean, this is a beautiful, beautiful place thus far that we see being described here. And then we measure it. He measures it here. And he said, the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, and the measure, and, and, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. 
Then he measured its walls 144 cubits according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its walls was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. That's glorious, is it not? I was looking up what, what, what you could compare the size of this city to, and one person said this. He said that the city, when you measured it, would, would fit on like half of the United States. It's pretty big. It's a big place. It's being prepared even now as we talk. He goes on, he says, the foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardix, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst, the twelve gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was one of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Imagine walking on that. Beautiful, glorious, the, the light show that is there. We, we haven't seen anything that is going to compare to the brilliance of this city. Just, I mean, you just, I don't know, I, I just want to read through it, and, and you can try to envision this, but I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So we go right into the Lord. We go right into him in worship. The city had no need of sun or of moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. So you see, all of this is beautiful already, and the glory of God is what lights up this city. No sun, no moon, no stars are there. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb. The reason why we have access to heaven is not because of our perfection. It is because of his blood. It is because he has written our names in the Lamb's book of life. And so all glory, all honor is brought to him. His glory dwells there bodily in an uninhibited way, chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of the, of water, of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of, of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. That's the promise for the faithful follower of Jesus. See, the, the eternal city is not only a home of the bride, and I'm, I'm going to quote Warren Wearsby here. I, I like what he said about this. He said, the eternal city is not only the home of the bride, it is the bride. 
This is not just a, a place, but this is us being molded. God is building a dwelling place in us. It is a city. A city is not buildings. It is people. The city John saw was holy and heavenly. In fact, it descended to earth from heaven where it was prepared. John's description staggers the imagination, even accepting the fact that a great deal of symbolism is involved. You know, there's a bunch of symbols that we see here in Revelation in particular here, but we know this heaven is a real place of glory and beauty, the perfect home of the Lamb's bride. This place where we worship him. And here's what I would say, church, is that we should be encouraged that God has promised his children this future. Should we not? When we look at this, we should be encouraged that nothing that we see in this earth, listen, you might not get that home you want. You, you, you might not get that car you want. You might not have that thing that you want while you live on this earth. You may die with some things that don't make the bucket list. Hello. But this is going to happen. We are going to experience a, a glory like we have never, ever seen before, and we know this, that we're not only a work in progress, but that God is preparing us for this type of glory. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we should heed, we should heed the, challenge of the, new city. the challenge of the new city. Your outline probably says here, but I wanted it to be heed so that I, I didn't spell check, I'd not spell check, but I didn't read that over before I sent it to print. But we should heed the challenge of the new city. We should heed. There's a challenge that we see here, and, and I want us to walk through it. I want you to hear these words, and then I'm going to give you a couple of things that I think I want you to hold on to as we, as we bring our time to a close. But it is this. Look at verse 6 in chapter 22. It says, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. In other words, this is going to happen. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. If you have a, a specific Bible, you have red letters here because Jesus is speaking. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, seal the word, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And, and I will pause and say here, that sounds weird. Like, why wouldn't he say, he who's, who's unjust, repent? What he's saying is those who are unjust are going to continue in their injustice. They're going to, or their injustice. They're going to continue in their unjust ways your judgment is true. That's what he's saying. If you're here right now or you're listening online, you can repent. You, 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 this is not a, a warning to you. This is the end. This is after all of this. This is at that point. And so we need to realize that. He goes on and says, verse 12, and behold, I am coming quickly. Again, we hear quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. 
Again, we hear this warning. There is a group that is going to be in, and that, and that is this group that does what? Look what he, I'm, I'm not saying this. This is what he says. Blessed are those who do his commandments. Blessed are they who keep the commandments of God that they may have the right to the tree of life. Listen, this is where this, this fall, and I, I, I got to say this, this is where this cheap, false grace has crippled people. Because we think, oh, well, I put faith in Jesus, so he's going to forgive me. And if you're living in sin, you have nothing to look forward to but judgment. Repent now. Turn from sin now. Don't keep living in it. That's why Jesus said in the gospel, what? Many are going to come to me in that day and say, hey, did we not know you? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal sick? Didn't we prophesy? He's going to say, I never knew you because I didn't like you. He says, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. We can't live in sin and just think that everything is going to be okay. We have to hold intention. Man, the blood of Jesus is powerful. Amen. The grace of God is far-reaching. Amen. And he empowers us to live holy and righteous lives. And we have to, but listen, don't just think that, hey, I'm good. No. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take the waters of life freely. See, again, that's, there's that tension, right? You can't do anything for these waters. Jesus made it possible. Here's the warning. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if, you, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part of the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Three times you heard it. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Heaven is more than just a destination. It's a motivation. It's not just a place that we're going to go one day. It's, it's, a, it's a place that should motivate us to live holy and righteous for God's glory. As we look forward to heaven, we should need no other motivation to live righteously than what? Than knowing that God has promised us all of this good. He doesn't want us to suffer. He, he puts warning after warning after warning because he wants this city for us. Hallelujah. That's what he wants for us. So, so here's the question. The question is, how do I heed the challenge of the new city? Three things real quick. Number one, be ready. Number two, be obedient. And number four, be sure. I mean number, number three. Number three, not four. I skipped three. Number one, be ready. Be ready. Jesus said, I pointed out, Jesus said, I come quickly. Not, 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 obviously not, not as, as we think quickly, but he's coming. Be ready. Every generation, think about this, every generation from the time 
that, that Jesus rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, they believed that they would be the generation that would see Jesus' return. Every generation. You should be that person. You should be that person as well. You shouldn't be saying, well, they thought it for like, you know, how many generations between now and then, between then and now? <laughs> no, no, no. Don't look at it that way. Then you go to sleep and then all of a sudden he comes like a thief in the night. That's what happens. That you, oh, he's like, yeah, we've been hearing that. I, no, just act like you heard it the first time right now. Let that jump inside of your heart. Be ready. Second, be obedient. As followers of Jesus, there are, I just read all of them. Go back, look at it. As, as followers of Jesus, obedience is imperative. Church, please hear me when I say this. Obedience is not an option. If you are going to be a faithful follower of Jesus, you have to obey. It's not, it's not like, well, I can pick and choose. No, you don't pick and choose. You already made an allegiance to Jesus. Now you have to obey what he says. Be obedient. Don't play with your salvation. Don't play with your relationship with God. Don't test the waters. Don't, 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 don't try to see how far grace can take you. Hello. How, how close to the edge of grace can I get before I fall off the ledge? Don't play like that. And number three, be sure. Be sure. What God has said, he's going to do. These prophetic words that he has spoken are going to happen. I've already said this before. We see all of these other prophecies that are in the Bible have come to pass. These are the ones we're waiting on. He didn't fail any of those. He's not going to fail these. Be sure we should find our rest in that. Our readiness, our obedience, and our assurance will lead us to what? It will lead us into the blessings that are promised in this book. As we are living in the last days, church, it should be our aim to do what? To remain focused upon the king until the end. So here's my closing question. My closing question is this. What are you looking forward to? I'm going to invite the music ministry to come up with us, and we're going to close our time together in the book of Revelation thinking about what are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to? What is it that, are, are you, I mean, I know you're looking forward to lunch. You know, you're like, man, it's, it's time for lunch. But on a larger scale, on a larger perspective, what are you looking forward to? Are you looking forward to that glorious day of being in his presence? And listen, if you are not looking forward to that, if that is not something that is moving your heart, then during our time of worship right now, during our time as we look at what it is that God is going to do and what he wants to do, as we, as, as we sing these songs, let God deal with your heart. Let God deal with your heart. And if you're not looking forward to his return, let him change your heart. If you're not looking forward to this eternity that we saw described here, let him change your heart. I'll ask you to stand with us as we begin to enter into this time of worship. Father, we bless you and we praise you. And we humble our hearts before you, Lord, because we recognize how powerful, how mighty, how glorious you are. And Holy Spirit, we ask that even now as we sing songs, may you prepare our hearts in a, in a greater way for your return. May you prepare our hearts in a greater way for what you are saying you will do quickly. Lord, awaken urgency in us. Awaken those who are sleeping out of their slumber. We pray, God, that you would glorify yourself in our hearts.
in Jesus' name.